All right, well, let's let's just go right on into this. Oh my gosh, why are things just falling in here? Okay, welcome <laughs> back to the show. This is a show where we talk about movies, and the movie today is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's from 2019. It's rated PG-13 and an hour and 48 minutes long. It's directed by Andre Over... Avredal. That's my best attempt. He worked with Guillermo del Toro. Uh, did the screen story for this and I think that was something that was really like advertised and the reason why I was super excited to watch Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark yeah you saying this is actually the first time I realized like I was always under the impression that Del Toro actually directed this movie no because how hard and like how heavy they advertised Del Toro in the advertising for the movie exactly yeah, there's really nobody else I recognize in this except for Dean Norris, uh, the father of the lead, like, main protagonist girl. He was uh, the DEA agent, the brother-in-law in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, he uh, like has a part, like you said, like, in the movie, and he is by far the best, like, like best written and performed, in my opinion. He really stands out in this movie. I thought of the first part of the movie where he's literally just in a chair, and I was like, I don't know if you're messing with me here, but (laughs) then I remembered the movie does escalate a little bit. So if you haven't seen the movie, it's basically Halloween 1968. This girl and her two friends meet a a drifter who is avoiding the draft for Vietnam. His name's Ramon, and they uncover a sinister notebook of stories, and this notebook it's written by a crazy lady accused of killing kids and the notebook causes kids to be killed. And it's a number of stories from the actual book of scary stories to tell in the dark by Alvin Schwartz in our world. But in this world, it's written by somebody else, Sarah Bellows. And what did you think of this, Brad? So I, you mean like why they decided to instead of it being like multiple short stories in an anthology is instead like they a sort of like metafiction that had absolutely nothing to do with the premise of the original book. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, that's basically what I'm saying, but in a much more intelligent way. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I meant mostly like what did you think of the movie, but. Um, hundred percent i don't know why they didn't go for an anthology well I, I think it's yeah i think it's because hollywood just has n- no faith in anthology style movies um another one of like a similar style that i always uh think about is world war z uh based on the book by max brooks and the book is similar to this it's just a collection of small stories written in the past tense about how people survived a zombie apocalypse and the movie is none of that there's literally nothing in there from the book at all it's literally just the title not even brad pitt (laughs) no brad pitt's not in the book um i suppose for the best yeah people really didn't like that movie (laughs) and like the stories in like, to go on a little tangent, and World War Z were really good. And that's why a lot of people were initially excited about it. But that's with a Hollywood, why I think they just have no faith in that sort of style. And so they just, like, the general um, ambiguous they uh, just feel so compelled to instead of doing that, or even focusing on just a few and really expanding that, um, they instead have to either ignore the entire uh, written work or do like they did here and shoehorn those stories into this larger narrative. And I think that there is a reason for that, though. Shoehorning it into this narrative, I think that there is a message deep down in this movie about what they were trying to say is going on, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I I feel like all the flaws have a reason. Yeah, I would agree with that. So... There's six stories total in this movie. I mean, there's the story surrounding it that 
Like everybody is dealing with this book and whatnot, and it's all not nonsense. But what I want to talk about are the stories within this movie. One of which is at the end that is purely original. It was made for the movie, The Haunted House. So I'm not really going to talk about that because I want to talk about the things that differed from the book, which I grew up with and I absolutely loved and was terrified by. And I saw this movie in the theater too. Oh. Yeah, uh, I actually come from the uh, other position where I did not read Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. My wife did, growing up as well. Uh, they actually read it uh, to them in school. In school? In school. Uh, their uh, literature teacher I actually read some of these aloud, uh, including, I don't remember uh, what it's called, but the Me Tai Doty Walker. Oh my gosh, that one gave me nightmares. Yeah, that one freaked her out. But yeah, I did read the stories before watching the movie, but that was all about a week ago. So I am coming into all of this with brand fresh eyes, brand new fresh eyes. Okay, so I want to start with The Red Spot. It's not the first story that we get like acquainted to in the movie, but it's the one that I feel is the most faithful to the, to the actual book. So in the book, it's about a woman who gets a red spot on her cheek and thinks it's a spider bite. It grows until it pops and a ton of spiders crawl out. So it's a practical body horror story with the message that Mm -hmm. sometimes things are worse than you think, I guess. (laughs) I mean, that's the message I got from it. And in the movie, what I liked is the girl gets shoved into webs when her jock boyfriend, she's like, he's upset that she won't stand for child murder. So he shoves her into some webs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this movie's PG-13, by the way. Yeah. Anyways, so this girl, she claims, it feels like something bit her. And I took note of that. I was like, okay, yeah, I see what they're doing. And so as the movie progresses, the red spot grows until it pops. And, you know, spoiler alert, you're listening to this podcast about movies anyways. We're talking about things. So while the book had the girl experience this in a bathtub and survive, the movie has her experience this in a bathroom when water gets dumped on her and she survives. So I feel like the spirit of the story here is maintained. It's very accurate. It's correct for, like, what the story is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I thought they did it really well. Um, I didn't really get that message when I read the story to me when I read it it really just seemed like it was specifically just this standard body horror but for kids like to give kids nightmares uh which most of the book was uh (laughs) but I, I didn't really see much more to it than that when I was reading it and to be fair a lot of these stories in the book like going back they're very very short and simple yes and it tends to be something spooky happens, sort of, but not directly to you. <laughs> you might get instructions to scream at one of your friends and make them not want to do sleepovers with you anymore. Yeah, um, and just like a slight spoiler for some coming up, Harold, um, <laughs> in that one, in the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah go on, Harold. Yeah, let's just go on and talk about Harold. Oh, no, go ahead. Actually, I'd like to hear your opinion on Harold without me tainting it with my opinions to start this. I'd say you definitely have more of an intimate knowledge of what all happens in the story. I was going to uh, point out that in the story of Harold, it is about two uh, dairy farmers, like cows specifically, who live in a valley uh, and then take the cows up onto a mountain? Yeah, the general geography of the story is a little bit weird and unexplained. Yeah, uh, to eats and whatnot, and graze. Yeah, it's it's nebulous, but there there's like mountains and valleys and mountains where they probably shouldn't be in the story. Yeah, and while there, they're just entirely bored, and so they have a scarecrow there of a third farmer who they despise, and they call it Harold. And so they're really abusive and mean to this scarecrow uh, as just, just to like blow off steam and whatnot, just because they're so bored. And as it progresses, Harold actually moves when they're not looking. And so they get freaked out, put him away, and then one of the farmers convinces the other that they must have just been mashing it, everything's fine. 
and so they put him back out and then he moves again and one of them um i think it's like described where uh harold like moves uh almost like a horse on its hind legs like how it walks yeah they say that he trots yeah yeah he trots yeah then like at the end of it one of the farmers um i mean nothing like actually on screen like in the book you don't actually see anything happen it's just one of them disappears oh it's it makes my skin crawl so much (laughs) yeah and yeah and it is effective um but that is a sort of like recurring theme that i got from reading the book is that spooky things happen but not like they're getting you right now like boo like at the end oh no this is this this one was my second favorite story from all of the scary stories so like what really got to me was that as you said it's like grunting and moving and they're like maybe it's a mouse in the burlap maybe you know something's happened And, and it's very steady and subtle and that's what really unnerved me as a kid it's like the idea that you don't really know what's going on and you can say that okay maybe we just imagined that and in like the final scene it gets out of the house and trots on the roof and so the two farmers are freaked out and everything and then it goes out into the field to sulk and so they're like all right let's let's go down to the valley with the with with the our cows because we're farmers of dairy nature (laughs) and honestly this made me stay up at night so late freaked out for no reason because they go out and they draw straws because they forgot their stools for the for the cows and mm-hmm. that would be horrible to like milk cows without stools and they'd have to pay money to get new stools and they're farmers so they don't have much money and so one of them goes back the other guy keeps going and he gets up onto a hill and he can see from that hill down into the valley that apparently is uh, you know everything's messed up here he can see his house and on the <laughs> house he sees Harold, the scarecrow, putting out drying, bloody skins on the roof. And when mm. I read that as a kid, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, it, it was like 10 p.m. My parents were asleep. It was dark. And I was like, I shouldn't have stayed up so late reading scary stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how, how do you uh, feel they did uh, within the movie? Okay, and, and so this is one of the parts where I thought it was starting to be a little unfaithful. Okay, just a, this is like the, the middle ground of unfaithfulness. So, in the movie, there's some jocks that hate the Scarecrow. So that, that's, like, fair. You, you know, we have two people who hate the Scarecrow. They inflict physical abuse on it. They, like, throw glass bottles and... Call it names. Yeah, and it with a baseball bat yeah and so after the main jock believes he's condemned some kids to death he drunkenly tries to deliver uh eggs at night and so he's going into this field and harold is teleporting around like he's walking and there's a crossroads and there's nothing there he goes to the next crossroads and then there's harold and he goes to the next crossroads and there's harold again it's like okay so harold the scarecrow teleports now Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's essentially Mike Myers. Uh, oh, okay, and there's another difference that I don't actually disagree with. Um, so in the book, if you look at the image or if you look at it online, he's got a big fat belly, like a like a pot belly, as if he's been drinking more beer than me. And in the movie, he has no belly. It's like cut out, as if he should have a belly, but it's just cut out, and you can see like this stick going down, like a spine. And I actually kind of like mm-hmm. that. That That's one of the differences that I thought was a good change. But the teleporting a little bit less. And the thing that really upset me is that... So he chases Tommy down as if he's a robot. The Terminator. Yeah, very much Terminator style. And I just didn't imagine that in the book. But that's where I think not really seeing on screen in the book, so to speak, what happens is even more unnerving. Because you don't know how he killed this person. You just know if you go back there you'll get killed by him in some way and your skin will be on a roof to dry mm-hmm. i guess so when i was watching the movie uh i found like the scene with harold and the jock to be very affecting it was like really proper spooky 
and I was really impressed by it. But yeah, uh, in that same way, I was a little disappointed uh, in how he was essentially just Michael Myers, um, like the Terminator, just like slowly stepping towards him and teleporting, which is fine, except you get that in the future and one of the other ones later on. And I am glad that I read these first because in a way I was expecting him to start like trotting in a really like strange uh, way like something trying to move in a way that a human couldn't possibly like something pretending with like a marionette almost and instead of teleporting around like having like just like more instances of you just see something just like run past almost i thought that had been more affecting but it was already really spooky and would have absolutely given me nightmares if i watched this movie at like 10 years old yeah and that's what i hear about this is it's a great movie as like an introductory horror movie yes absolutely if if your kids are ready for a proper spook <laughs> if they're not then go for some like I don't know, Hocus Pocus or something. <laughs> but if they're ready to be properly scared, then yeah, this is a good, like, starter horror movie. Yeah, th this guy from Harold doesn't die by having his skin ripped off. He dies Ooh. by being stabbed by a pitchfork that then mm -hmm. injects rapidly multiplying straw strands that go through his body and, like, come out through his eyes and his fingers. It is spooky and proper like that, but... For some reason, I just feel like Harold, who dries bloody skins on a roof, should have a little bit of blood. And that's, like, <laughs> the main thing that I'm like, but that's not right, is it? It's good for a Scarecrow character, but this isn't... Yeah, and that's one of those things that I think that I, they were really wanting to stay away from is blood with it being a PG-13, like, kids horror movie. Is They had to stay away from blood, and so... I was totally fine, in fact, I actually, personally of the opinion, where it is more affecting like that with the straw coming out than like the blood, like the bloody skins, but again, I wasn't the one who read this and had nightmares as a child. Yeah, and to be fair, I also would not want to be stabbed with a pitchfork that makes me grow straw out of my eyes. Mm -hmm. That is not on my top 10 ways to die. No, no, no. Uh, don't look it up in Google Images. <laughs> it's... Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's not on my top ten list. <laughs> okay, the next story I want to go to is one that I also feel was faithful. And it's from the third book. It's called The Dream. And if you watch the movie, you might know it as The Pale Lady. So in the book, a woman has a dream about a dark staircase and a creepy bedroom. In the dream, she sleeps in the bed and is woken up by a large pale woman with black eyes and black hair, and that woman is pictured in the book. This woman warns her that this is an evil place and she needs to flee. So the woman wakes up for real, changes her destination, and upon arriving at her new destination, she finds that it's the place that she dreamed about, so uh, she runs away. And I feel like the moral of the story is that trying to change your fate has a funny way of making that fate come true. I feel like that's sort of in movies, especially with time travel. Yeah, um, I'd have to double check, but I think, actually, uh, this is where I get to, like, push up my glasses and go, well, actually, <laughs> um, I think in the story of the dream, uh, the character notices that, oh, this is the place for my dream. But they don't immediately run away. They instead go, uh, it must just be some strange coincidence. Uh, a lot of houses are built like this. And so then they stay there, and then the pale lady comes. They open up the door, and boom, there she is. And that's where it ends. Yes, exactly. The moment she sees the pale lady, she's like, yes, this is a lot of things that are exactly what I thought they were about. Yeah. And, and so the ending might seem like it disagrees with how the movie goes and in the movie what happens is our comic relief guy chuck <laughs> comic is a strong term to describe this character in this movie uh it's jar jar but worse <laughs> he is a little bit over the top at points 
they're opening where they're sick of being bullied by the jock and they devise this plan to like poop in toilets and fish it out and everything and get these pranks ready it's just it is a little bit juvenile but that was my favorite part of them it's like it just goes like how extreme over the top uh, they are willing to go to get back at the bullies but then all of his dialogue he is such a jerk all the time and he's like always trying to be funny but just isn't and that's not all he does though I think he also like throws a Molotov or something in there doesn't he like into the car yeah it's a burning bag of dog poop or their poop or a combination thereof he lights on fire and then throws into the jock's car anyways yeah Chuck recounts to the group that he's been having these dreams about a red room where a fat pale lady tells him that he's in a place of evil and he needs to run away so while he's trying to find clues the group has to go to a red room in a hospital and it's like the R&D or something. It's like, it's like an acronym. Like it's the uh, quote unquote red room. Yeah. And the, so he says like, I don't want to go down there. I'm staying up here by myself in the halls. I will not go to the red room. You guys can go. So while avoiding the red room, the pale lady turns up in the hallway and she turns it red and slowly walks towards him in an inevitable way where she hugs him to death. And so I feel like the spirit of the story is maintained that the harder you try to avoid your fate by being clever, the more you find yourself trapped by fate. And even though the stories end out a little differently, I still feel like the same message is there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you bring up before, is like how that is a sort of recurring theme. And like you said, like uh, time travel stories, that's often brought up. Really my only other thought towards that is again, just how affecting like it is like how drawn out it is because he's in this like corridor of lots of different hallways and every time he starts to go down a hallway there she is and she's always getting exactly as closer every time with every single step and it's so drawn out and the dread it's really well done it is because he's such a like a He's a character you don't want to see him die. Like, he might be annoying at points, but it's a way that can become endearing. He's the comic relief. You don't want to see bad things happen to him beyond being slapped. And it's one of those where it, it's with this sort of, um, like, theme about trying to escape your fate. It is, it makes it more relatable in that you could see yourself in the same situation as him very easily. Uh, where it doesn't feel like when you're watching it or reading the story, that they're really doing anything wrong. And it's a very natural reaction to where if you see doom coming, that you'll do everything in your power to avoid it just to walk straight into doom as quickly as possible. And that's really sort of an honorable story, is everybody would do that. that that's mm -hmm. what a reasonable person would do. Yep. What makes it so affecting is that it's not a character being stupid. <laughs> it's, it's, you see it as like, oh, that's a very reasonable and realistic attempt at trying to avoid something bad happening to you. I 100% agree with you. And on that note, it's time to change over to our next story that I feel was very unfaithful. My favorite story from the book. In fact, the first story in the first book. The Big Toe. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This is the story I would read to my friends when we're doing like campouts in my backyard or going to a campground that was real that one time. Um, <laughs> and everybody hated me. All of my friends hated me. <laughs> you even know somebody who hates me for this. And you can mention The Big Toe and they'll be like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's a bizarre story and that's what i love about it is it's unlike anything i've ever heard of like before and i haven't really since okay 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 i want to tell the story so a boy just some generic boy that is pictured <laughs> he's just this little boy with a gardening hoe <laughs> he looks a little bit stoic and he looks like he's four and three quarters years old okay this boy he sees a big toe in the garden like planted in the garden. We have an illustration so we can actually see this big toe next to him. Look it up. 
Okay. So weird. So a, a boy sees a big toe in the garden, and he looks at it and thinks to himself, I should cut this off and bring it to my mom. He tries to cut it off, but it struggles because it's, because it's a big toe. Right. And so he rips it off and hears something scamper away, which makes sense because the body that was connected to this big toe must have been underground and therefore can scamper away like it's a mole person. Yeah. I, it, it, I, I love that it doesn't make any sense. So he takes it to his mom. None. And that's the first paragraph. And then the second paragraph, he takes it to his mom. And mom's like, oh, good job, child. We're cannibals. Uh, I'm going to cut it into three pieces and add it to a stew for mom, dad, and child. And, and they all <laughs> willingly eat it. So at night, the boy then hears a voice calling out for him, where is my toe? And slowly comes to the house. And then he just enters the house because we are living in a country where... You, you don't lock your doors because it's the low crime rate. And then he goes up into the bedroom and then goes to jump scare the boy. And that's when you're supposed to scream at your friend and make them in their friendship with you. Um, <laughs> right. But the moral of the story here is that you don't take what doesn't belong to you. You sick cannibal freak. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, a great exaggeration in it. Uh, in a way where the character really deserves what's coming to him. You feel no sympathy for this kid, but I also felt terror. I read this, and then I looked out <laughs> my window, and, and I saw like the countryside, and I was like, oh my gosh, if a zombie man wanted to come kill me, <laughs> my parents would care, but I don't know if I could wake them up. <laughs> and, and, yeah, well, I had I had bad times in the countryside, but... Okay, so in the movie, it's a little different, right? Yes. One hundred percent. It seems like something if they were going for this uh sort of grand story that connects all these different ones in this anthology, maybe don't do the big toe. And okay, here's the thing that makes me the most mad about this. I'm gonna send you a picture on, on Discord. I took it as a screenshot okay. with the with the time frame. Um and I'm going to explain what it's saying so that, you know, you can verify if you don't believe me. So the story that the characters see being written about this starts out saying a mother was digging at the edge of a garden. The second paragraph continues on, not as if a mother was digging at the garden, but as if a boy was digging at the garden and then came into the kitchen to bring it to his mother. It's, it's like, so the mother dug at the garden, gave it to the kid. The kid was like, okay. We're in the kitchen now, so here it is. It's inconsistent. How how did we get to this confusion? This doesn't make sense to me. And also doesn't make sense with what happens in the movie. And, and yeah, so so even in the movie, you have this guy, Augie, and he's actually kind of my favorite character because for the Halloween thing, he dressed as a, a clown, so to speak, but he keeps correcting people. He's like, no, I'm a Pierrot. Yeah, from the, was it the Commedia dell'arte? That's it. Yeah, I, I like obscure clown nonsense. Yeah. But, is it, so, he he's kind of my favorite character. He's a little bit of a skeptic, and, you know. Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he's a doubting Thomas, but in this case, I guess, a doubting Augie. <laughs> so, his mom and his stepfather, I guess, are out of town, and he's at the house, and he goes in the fridge. He's on the phone with his mom. He opens it up. He's like, is there anything to eat? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, well, I found a stew. And she's like, I didn't make a stew. And he's like, well, I'm going to eat it anyways. And he puts it on the counter. And then his friends, Stella and Ramon, call. They're the main characters at this point. And they're like, oh, no, Augie, things are going to happen. Don't eat the stew. Don't eat the stew. And he's like, huh, okay. Well, he scoops it up. I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And he, he takes a big bite. And there's a toe in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's gross, and I get it, like, in a narrative sense. But my problem is that that violates the spirit of the original story. The original story had that willful choice that resulted in punishment. You choose to take the big toe. You don't just put it in your mouth like a, 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 a dunce. <laughs> it's... It, it's it's not it's like if there was a folktale is like if you steal then mr pickles is gonna come chop your thumbs off <laughs> and then it got perverted into a movie and was like i mr pickles i chop off thumbs 
you took away the reason for it. Now it's just a slasher film. <laughs> yes. So, with the whole Downing Thomas thing, uh, he has not actually seen anything supernatural happen to him up to this point. Sort of. Because when they are trapped, uh, where the bully, like, sticks them all under, uh, in this basement in the mansion, in the haunted house, uh, and locks the door behind him like a sociopath, the door just mysteriously reopens. But they never find out who opened it or how. So that's weird. That put me on my toes personally, uh, trying to figure out what's going on there. But yeah, at that point, nothing spooky had happened to him yet. Except, except, there's a strange stew here. My mom doesn't know where it's from. <laughs> I've not seen it before, but here it is. Oh, hey, my best friend, though, is calling me and telling me not to eat the stew that I've never heard about, but she seems to know about. Maybe, maybe I should eat something else. <laughs> that would be the logical conclusion to make. Yeah. But he is both a doubting Thomas and an idiot. <laughs> but only for the sake of of the, the story because up to this point this doesn't seem at all like something he would do and then he just doesn't and then he quickly goes from doubting thomas to full believer the ghost does materialize inside of his house suddenly and then he's like i'm gonna run to my bedroom and go under the bed that that gave me a lot of anxiety actually i hate i absolutely despise when people do that it, it like it, it works in a sense but it's one of those things that's it's not a fun scare for me when somebody's like pulling themselves slowly out from under the bed and then it's like rah <laughs> made my spine feel sad <laughs> yeah and yeah like you said the original story is about how you don't take things that don't belong to you and don't be a cannibalistic idiot <laughs> um <laughs> But they totally changed that. Yeah, they totally changed it to where he didn't do it on purpose. It was maliciously done unto him. Yes, it was maliciously done unto him. And that's part of my theory, but we're not quite at the end yet. We have one more story. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do it. Me, Ty Doty Walker. Me, Ty Doty Walker. My third favorite story. Oh, I'm so sorry. Really? Yeah, for what happens in the movie to your favorite story. Okay, then you know exactly what I'm about to say. But if you haven't read the story, <laughs> in the book, in the book, okay, I love this so much. This, this is like one of the classic haunted house stories that really like makes me excited. This is something I would love to see in movies. But okay, okay, okay. There's a haunted house. Where every night a bloody head falls down the chimney so nobody wants to stay there and some rich dude offers $200 like when I read that in the book I was like as a kid that's like oh my gosh $200 now I'm like well that's not a lot well um this anthology of stories is all uh, just like old folk tales and whatnot that the author of the story didn't really write he just collected them into this book and so it's it's probable that this was like from way back from like the great depression or whatever in which case 200 dollars be huge that's actually a very good point that is the purpose of the original book in our reality here by alvin shorts is he wanted to collect folk tales and spooky stuff and make it into a book in an effective way that people could read and so that does make sense. $200 is measly now, but at that time is probably great. And so this guy was like, yeah, I'll do it if I can bring my dog. And the rich person was like, hmm, hmm, well, um, well, yeah, okay, fine. You can bring your dog. So everything is fine until after midnight, he hears some singing in the nearby woods, me, Tidoti Walker. And if you were like me and you had the cassette tape, it was more like me, Tidoti Walker. <laughs> and you had nightmares <laughs> but what's upsetting to me and this is the element that really made me unnerved because i had a i had a dog as a kid uh, i had a beautiful doberman pincher named penny and, and she's loyal and i read the story where the dog responds to this call from a ghostly voice in the woods with 
Lynchy, Kinchy, Collie, Molly, Dingo, Dingo. It's it's corny, and that's how how the, yeah. the cassette was too. But so the voice gets closer and sings again. The dog responds again like a freaking traitor, and this continues until the head singing the song comes down the chimney misses the fire lands next to the dog dog dies from fright which is really upsetting mm-hmm. to me because i had a dog and, and then the head turns to the boy and screams and you're also supposed to scream at your friends and ruin your friendships your your dog's dead and you ruined your friendships <laughs> yeah the moral of this story to me was that some impossible tasks are not good to attempt because they're impossible for a reason and so in the yeah. movie it felt a little different. <laughs> Did it? Did it feel a little different? It felt a little different. So, <laughs> our handsome main male protagonist character, Ramon, um, he gets arrested because his car was damaged um, by the jock. And <laughs> then, well, okay, he was also dodging the draft, but I don't really yeah. consider that personally to be a crime, so... What are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, but that I think was the was a crime. The ins the, the the technical crime that made it legal for the sheriff to detain this person of non Caucasian descent is what they were going for. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, and this guy Ramon is very much friends with our lead protagonist girl Stella, um, who is a great writer. They've noted and they've led up to and we'll get back to that later but so okay so in the movie ramon gets in prison against his will for being a draft dodger while his car got damaged and stella is like well i'm gonna stay here anyways and the cop's like your dad could go get you he's he's dean norris he was in breaking bad don't you know that (laughs) and she's like no i don't know that it's 1968 anyways so she goes into prison as well and he's there and i've never been arrested so i don't really know what uh jail or prison looks like in person but a (laughs) fireplace was not the thing i imagined to be a prominent thing in like a police station uh this is a police station a la the andy griffith show okay yeah okay yeah and that i can accept that okay (laughs) okay so the cop has a dog obviously because you need a dog for me i don't see walker yeah, it was, I don't think it was shown before they started doing the spook. It just, suddenly there's a dog in there. It's like, oh, hey, it's my dog who's been here this whole time. And so they knew enough about the story to say, okay, we need to have a dog here. Because that's a key part of the story. It's one out of three characters. <laughs> we get one of the three, at least. We do get one of the three. Okay, so the dog is acting weird at the fireplace, and, and he's mumbling something. And the dog is mumbling, Me Tai Doty Walker. Sorta. It's weird. He's mumbling that. It's not his line. I, I, I don't no. know. That shouldn't bother me. Because I, I get frustrated when people are like, you know, it's not the true to the, the story. And I feel like this is my time that... I should be saying that to myself is I don't get bothered by that. But it's like, if you're going to take the intellectual property, you may as well do it more or less correct. And I don't know, having the wrong characters say the line is just, I don't know. Okay. But we can get past that. We can get past that because we're reasonable people here. Right? Right. Reasonable enough. Yeah. So a head falls down the chimney because obviously the cop shoots the head many times obviously i didn't have a problem with that and then more body parts fall down the chimney and so i was like okay maybe this is actually like a combination of another story there is another story in scary stories to tell in the dark called aaron kelly's bones and it's about this guy who comes back from the grave and he comes to his family's house and dances and that's more or less the story he dances and it's freaky and it's like oh i gotta dance or something i don't i don't remember how it ends. <laughs> just as you do the big problem is that has nothing to do with this and ramon recognizes this for us he says it's the jangly man story that he was told as a child and so it's like okay so it's me tai doti jangly okay that's fine that's fine it's fine <laughs> it's a new story 
I'm having an issue here, but it's it, we're so far into the movie at this point that I'm I I I, I we, we can't stop at this point. So, the jangly man charges at Ramon and Stella, and huh, it's weird. I can't remember how they get out of prison. So the jangly man like picks up the body of the uh, sheriff who he like snapped the neck of, throws him for some reason like at the uh, bars of the jail where they are currently in, and so uh, while the jangly man is going for Ramon, what's her name again? Stella. She uh, then gets the keys from the sheriff, uh, unlocks hers. And then while the jangling man is like halfway between the bars, she then unlocks his. And then, then they just run off with him in between the bars. Weird. I, I, I have a hard time with attention span sometimes, even with movies that I like. And there's points in movies that I find when I try to recall them that I'm like, that's the point where I got really, really bored and I started fiddling with things. Yep, yep. For me, that was in just a few minutes from this moment. <laughs> okay, well, I know this moment, actually. So, Ramon and Stella get out of prison, and it's chasing Ramon while Stella's running for the house of Haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ramon pins Jangly Man against a semi using a cop car that he stole. And so they think that they killed it, but it falls apart, reassembles, and chases them until Stella can end all the supernatural stuff that's happening. Specifically, it chases Ramon, like, through the whole time. It is his monster. And I think that's very interesting, because a lot of these monsters are tailored. But, yeah, as I said, a big part of the original story is that you need to choose to go to the haunted house, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's a choice, just like Big Toe is... Mm-hmm. I don't know. By removing that element, it's really just a story that's a means to an end. Yeah. And they needed an action part to the climax. And so there's the jangly man going after Ramon. He's just like this sort of indestructible rubber ray man. That's really the sole purpose of the Meatai-Dehody-Walker jangly man combo is just so that they have a monster that they could use for an action climax. That's the whole purpose of this character. It 100% is. Like, as uh, we go into the story that I'm not really talking about too much, the original one, (laughs) A Haunted House, where Stella is fighting against Cerebellos and whatnot, he's fighting against monster because girl fights intellectual battle, spiritual battle, while man fights physical battle. Yeah. That's not gendered at all. <laughs> uh, well, we got the physical battle with Terminator, so we don't need any more, right? We had it with the Alien movies. That was sarcasm, by the way. That was sarcasm. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if that was sarcasm or not. So that's scary stories to tell in the dark, more or less. Now, before we continue on to our theory here, we're going to take a short break for our commercial endorsements. Stay tuned. Um, Mr. Pickles Pizzas. They all come with pickles on the pizzas. You cannot get anything else. Mr. Pickles Pizzas. Buy one today. Instead of marinara sauce, it's pickle juice. We sell the best pickles. Uh, Sorry, pizzas. Uh, That that sounds pretty bad. (laughs) Don't it, though? And now we're back to our show. We're here to talk about the conclusion to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. You've been watching this episode, so you knew that. The big thing I want to build to is an actual theory. So why, why are stories not right? Why are there things that are inexplicably wrong written within the book as if they actually read the real book? And I actually found the answer in the beginning of the movie. The first line of the movie is stories hurt stories heal and if we think about them a lot then sometimes stories are real what stood out to me was it was stories hurt comma stories heal so those are two separate things but i think they were making a distinction here and when i looked at the tagline of the movie and a line they say in the movie our main character stella she says you don't read the book the book reads you (laughs) right 
and I thought that was corny and stupid, but it made a lot of sense to me when I started to think about this. So, like, Alvin Schwartz, he wrote his book originally because he wanted to get all these spooky folktales and probably make money, but also to, like, <laughs> tell a story. Each story is very simple, and it tells something in a very succinct kind of way. And that's not what the stories in this movie do. I think that the scary stories to tell in the dark in the movie are different because our character Sarah Bellows is a wizard. Yeah. So her spells are essentially these stories. And so they don't need to make sense. They need to have functionality. And in every single situation, a character is like, oh, I remember this story sort of, except for the red spot uh, and Harold, I guess. But Harold is like more mm -hmm. of a personal in your face situation. Um, like you don't need to be told the story of Harold. You obviously already have it. I think every single thing they see written is just nonsense because it just needs to have things happen. So that's why it's like, so Augie's parents weren't there and, and he didn't pick anything in his garden. So it can't start with him picking things in his garden. It has to start with his mother pick something in the garden. Even if then she doesn't remember it later, it's just the, the stories are purely functional over like any actual narrative form. I think the big piece of evidence is that this ghost is so angry, so angry that she allegedly, the storyteller of whatnot and driving kids to come see her and hear scary stories that can make them kill themselves or something, she can't tell a story good enough. So she has to get our main character, Stella, to write her story so that she can get peace. And so to me, that's like, so... Alvin is basically just a bard. Sarah's a wizard, and Sarah's <laughs> upset she never multiclassed into bard. <laughs> um, if I'm not mistaken, I in the movie, uh, Sarah, uh, is there's a convoluted plot, and it's not actually explained why, I don't think, but her family has been putting mercury in water, uh, which has been killing kids. And she was starting to tell people that there was mercury in the water. And uh, that is why they ended up uh, putting her into a psychiatric space. I couldn't tell you what it's called based on what they're doing. Like electroshock therapy and whatnot. And they blamed her for all the murders and whatnot. Uh, when really it's them, and so she is angry that all these deaths were put on her instead of the family who abandoned her and framed her for what they did. Um, and so it is weird in that, yeah, there are like inconsistencies, like you said, uh, that screenshot you uh took of the movie where it describes like the beginning of the big toe and this is Im it's important because like like you said the first paragraph they totally changed it to where a mother's digging in the garden and then the second is the boy took the toe into the kitchen and said it looks nice and plump whatnot and so essentially just going back to the original story it looks but, nice and plump <laughs> yeah and when the main characters call Augie on the phone. They start reading the story to him of, like, of what is going to happen. And so in that way, there is that sort of like magical predestination of what is going to happen to him. But... It's inconsistent with what happened earlier in the same story that was being written while he was at home alone looking for something to eat. I'd say there are a few different moments in the story where it feels like it is victim to rewrites. Not like not ne not necessarily like late rewrites like you see with uh, like the modern like DC like superhero movies and whatnot where it's so painfully obvious throughout, but it's a common and a good thing where they don't just go for the rough draft of the movie and then just make that. Otherwise, you get the room. Uh, 
for the most part. There's no vampires in the room, so not exactly. But in it, it seems they had like a final draft of what they wanted, and then they changed a lot of it. And they patched over what they noticed, but there's some small inconsistencies they, they just missed that hamper it like this issue with the big toe. Yeah, it, it's hard to make a lot of these stories fit into a big picture. And that's why I really agree with what you said at like the beginning of this podcast is that this is an anthology. This should be an anthology. Each of these stories mm-hmm. could stand on their own, expanded. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them could stand on their own, expanded, and made into something that's really creepy. Have you ever watched The Dark Knight of the Scarecrow? I have not. I don't even think I've ever heard of it. I don't know if it's necessarily the first Scarecrow horror movie, but it was one of the first. Uh, it's like from the 60s, I believe. And in it, it is about a mentally handicapped uh, man being framed for the death of a child who actually survived. And so they have a big trial. He gets off. He's free. But the people in town do mob justice to kill this man. Wait, no, no, they, sorry, I got that confused. They do mob justice to kill him, and then there's a big trial for them going on trial for killing him. Uh, But they get off free. And so supernatural things start happening around with the Scarecrow in town because where he decided to hide was inside a Scarecrow. And so the mob found out where he was and then shot him to death repeatedly. Well, John repeatedly to death. And so, like, spooky things start happening with Scarecrow and whatnot, but you don't actually see him as a spooky Scarecrow till the end. The reason why I point out all of this is that this was a horror movie all about a Scarecrow, and it was really good with themes and a character-driven horror. And so I feel... That's absolutely possible. Like, if you wanted to do just Harold, you could, if you wanted to, expand that out into an 80-minute horror movie easily. But if you instead cut that down, make Harold, like, say, a 20-minute uh, horror movie, then you could then do another one that's, like, 15, 20 minutes or whatever. And you could. There are so many stories between all three scary stories to tell in the dark stories, uh, like books, that you could absolutely do a very faithful yet expanded upon anthology movie uh, and really like expand out these stories into a visual format. And it would, I think it worked well. But I think Hollywood is just... They just don't have faith in that sort of format. They feel you have to have a a boy main character and a girl main character. They have to fall in love and spooky things need to happen that are just tangentially related to the source material to make people happy. Thus creating, in my opinion, an inferior product to what could have been. But I would say they did it well enough I would still recommend this movie because what they did do except for me, me, Ty, Dodie, Walker that's, oh, I hated that (laughs) that was oh, that was so poor Uh, but uh, so much of this movie was done so well it doesn't excuse what could have been in my opinion but it was effectual and it was pretty good in my opinion you messaged me saying nixon question mark oh yeah that's a good point so yeah uh during this movie like there's this recurring thing where this is all taking place like during the election where nixon ends up winning becoming president and (laughs) tricky dicky that's not a name for a president yeah it's this it's not A plot or B plot, it's sort of like a D plot at that point. But it's this recurring thing throughout the movie. And it's so strange because it doesn't 
seem to really go anywhere. It doesn't. It's literally um, only there as window dressing to say, hey, um, by the way, it's 1968. And you're like watching and it's like, oh, spooky things are happening. Uh, by the way, uh, it's 1968. Yeah, and so there's like, it's almost saying something with it. But not really. <laughs> yeah, because not really. Because they have a character who is a draft dodger for the Vietnam War. He is one of the two main characters. And then you have, throughout the movie, like, on TV, news footage of Nixon, like, <laughs> uh, talking, being elected and whatnot, and people talking about it. So it's like they are going to say something, and then they just don't. There's literally nothing there. <laughs> but it's so close to maybe there's they want to say something i think they do want to say something at the end of the movie well, actually hold, hold up jangly man we're back in the, in the jailhouse and everything and mm -hmm. ramon is saying that jangly man calls him a coward first off mm -hmm. and, and ramon's saying that he's dodging the draft and he doesn't feel good about it his brother came back to his family in pieces he says so mm -hmm. it's not unreasonable yep. for him to be like hmm do i want to die or do i want to live yeah 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 so like i can't I, I honestly can't blame him i'm not a warrior no no i'd have done the exact same thing honestly i'll be honest there but by the end of the movie he's decided he's no longer a coward and that he's going to war because he defeated the jangly man S sort of actually stella did it but i'm gonna take credit for it he fought off the jangly man at least he fought, yeah he did a good job and so we'll give him that we'll give him that so he's like yeah i can go to the vietnam war and that's how the movie ends for him is that he's going mm -hmm. off to the vietnam war stella gives him a kiss i think and I, I don't know that that feels i think it's just a hug actually oh poor ramon nah he doesn't even get a kiss no ramon <laughs> poor ramon you fought the jangler, man. You don't even get a kiss. Well, okay. but So that's a clear message, though, from the movie that that's the right thing. He did the right thing is what the movie's saying, is that finally he manned up and he's going off to war. And I don't know much about Mr. Nixon here, but <laughs> I'm assuming he's pro-Vietnam War. Yes. Okay. So I Definitely. think that's the message of this movie is more or less that I don't know that either the time was that the Vietnam War was a good thing to do or that in the scope of a scary stories universe war is a good thing <laughs> so it's almost like yeah it's almost like it's saying that the real story for Ramon is Nixon becoming president and America devoting more of itself for the war and so him going there is his inevitable future that is being written for him through the election footage and whatnot. Oh no, I ju it just dawned on me, man. It just dawned on me. This might sound like the stupidest thing ever or obvious, but okay. So he says he's dodging the draft because his brother came back in pieces. I've said that already. Yeah. The jangly man is in pieces. Oh... Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's a mind blower, but that's like, it, that's just, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Is that like literally the personification of his fear of the war? His brother being a pile of pieces coming after him, calling him a coward. Well, then you know what they should have done? They should have made it look like his brother. Like, they should have had like a photograph of his brother, like in his wallet or something. The following has been removed for being a theory too intense for civilian ears. Please continue this podcast. I'm going to be... Oh, man, cut that out. <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. Like every episode of our show, we just unravel at the end. No, no, no. So... So it's like it could have had a picture of his brother, like, in, like, his wallet or something, then, like, it shows and then like the monster uh like appears and then he like says his brother's name or something so just really drive that home so that you don't have to get like an hour and a half into a podcast <laughs> to <laughs> get that idea uh yeah 
Well, like, they're in the jail. He could have... Because every single story that has a character that says, like, oh, I heard this story as a youth, or I had a dream, or whatnot, it sets it up right. pretty early. And they do a very good job of that. They set it up, a little bit of time goes by, and then things start to happen. Except for Augie. That's a little bit on the nose. But You mean on the toe. <laughs> on the big toe. So, it's both kind of weird and kind of neat. But there is a moment where the jangler man is coming and whatnot, and the dog saying Mitai Doty Walker and all that. And Ramon says, This one is mine. As sort of a twist, because it seems like it's going for the sheriff, but no, it's going for him. That's right. But it still kills the sheriff, anyways, even though, yeah, it's absolutely no threat to him. He just feels like killing the, the sheriff. Well, see, that's why I feel like these are just spells, specific like wizard D and D spells, that are being picked. That are like, okay, you have to work with what the person knows, and then you cast it, and it's like, so you summon creature or something. That that's like an easy one, or or a, uh, oh, shoot, I had this in my mind, phantasmal illusion. Yeah, uh, phantasmal force is uh, one. Yeah, phantasmal killer. Phantasmal Killer. That sounds right. It's like an illusion spell. It comes out, it's an illusion that scares the person and kills them. And that's why I started to think about Wizard. It's like, so, this all just seems like somebody using sort of like illusion spells to kill somebody because their family killed children and then imprisoned them. They went insane. That's the part that I don't really understand with the movie. Like, I, I'm not meaning to split hairs as we're reaching the end of our podcast here. It's just like, so, okay, you didn't actually kill the children. Your family did. You were in prison for that. And so you make something that kills children to make a point that you didn't kill children. Well, at the very end, out of complete nowhere, after everything is said and done, uh, you see... What's her name again? Stella and her dad driving down the road. And what? It's like Chuck's sister is apparently there too. Yeah, and there's just this narration from Stella, like in the beginning of the movie, of her saying that (laughs) she knows that Chuck and Augie are still alive somewhere. And they're going to go and find out how to get them back the book is the answer to that mystery just completely out of nowhere it's like oh hey actually not dead (laughs) so (laughs) i actually really like that in the sense that it's like yeah 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 no we could go further we could fight back against whatever this menace is in a nebulous sense like the evil entity that is giving scary stories to life but at the same time it is a little bit corny and i get that since there is not a movie in 2020 as a sequel <laughs> it's like the captain in her pants movie that's like captain in her pants the first adventure there was never a second <laughs> it's like uh well you set yeah. yourself up but and i mean i i kind of get as well i think that i think that really just came down to like trying to keep the pg-13 rating it's like no no see there here's this line they're totally still alive and the pg-13 really makes me angry and i get why they did it i I really do get why they did it is more people are coming in for pg-13 movies for theaters but Mm -hmm. like you saw the artwork in the books yeah it is dripping with blood i don't care if it's charcoal and like ink it's still dripping with blood and mold in every single like you would expect blood in a scary story to tell in the dark movie because of that artwork. And there's no blood at all. So I I don't know, like, the rules for blood in cinema, but I think, like, if it is a horror movie in America and there is blood involved uh, with the victims, then that makes it automatically, like, I think, rated R. I could be totally wrong. I could be wrong, too. Um, I think that is the case. Yeah. And so they had to find ways around that. But, I mean, you can have blood in illustrations, like in a book, (laughs) but as soon as it's, like, as soon as a second frame is introduced, then you can't do it anymore. Yeah. And so 
in ways that force them to be more creative, like with Harold. But, yeah, it can definitely come off as strange, coming straight from the book to the movie, for sure. So given that this was the first time you watched this movie, and you didn't grow up with the books like I did, what would you rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10? So I would probably give scary stories to tell in the dark. Directed by Del Toro, 100%. No, not directed um, by Del Toro. It's directed by... No, I, no. <laughs> we said this in the intro. It's directed by Andre or something, something. Overdog. Yeah, yeah, say his name. It's so easy. <laughs> Andre. <laughs> yeah. I give it a 7 out of 10, honestly. I agree with you there. 7 out of 10. It's great as an introductory thing, but it's not going to blow your mind in any direction. It's just good old-fashioned fun and that's what a seven out of ten is is good old-fashioned fun yeah uh, if you are a fan of the genre or you want to become a fan of the genre it's a great one to do but otherwise eh, you're not gonna probably uh really enjoy it and it, even if you are a fan of the genre you're still gonna see like flaws in it like everything having to do with the jangly man in this movie don't read the book before you watch the movie <laughs> all right well this has been a show that we are i'm adam <laughs> i love how you <laughs> i love how you said that <laughs> it's almost like you recorded it after the fact and just shoved it in it's like and my name is brad <laughs> yeah well because we both recorded that in we were both saying swears so, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you won't know what swears we said when we said, Adam. Oh, yeah, it is. Ooh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Real big ones. The biggest swears. Next time, we will talk about another movie for a length of time that is close to the movie's length. But <laughs> I hope you laughed with us. I hope you uh, enjoyed your long drive in the Las Vegas desert. Because that's the person who is listening to this right now. Enjoy your drive. And we'll see you next time here on a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Hey, you have a good one.